When I uh, graduated from Bible college, um, my uh, alma mater called me in Michigan where I went to school, and they said, will you come do a uh, five-day talk, really, teaching on the things of God, and, and uh, we'll, we'll just be excited to have you there. And I, I, I arrived in Michigan, and we were starting, my wife and I were starting a church outside of Boston, Massachusetts that grew to about a thousand people before we left there. And, uh, and so I went. I was about 27 years old, and uh, I got there to speak and found out that one of the speakers there was one of the greatest speakers in the world. And here I am, 27-year-old guy, has been only preaching about three or four years, and I'm supposed to speak with this guy. And when I arrived, I stayed at my parents' house because they were near the college where I went to school. And, uh, and so I, uh, my mom, she was excited that I was coming, so she bought me a new sport coat just to show you how sophisticated I really am. I tried it on. It was a white sport, sport coat. And I had some really cool red pants. <laughs> red pants, yeah. So I thought, I'll wear that. And so I got up to speak, and about halfway through my first talk to the student body and everybody who was there, it was the jam-packed, and uh, I looked as I was, had my hands up like this, and I still had all the tags on my coat. <laughs> so that introduction, that's the real Tom Ward, the, you know, forgetting, yeah. Hey, how many of you here are nomophobic? I'll bet you over half of you are nomophobic and you don't even know it. How many know what nomophobic means? I'm going I'm to teach you a new word and you'll have fun with this tomorrow or today. Uh, I didn't bring my phone up here, but I just got a new phone. And it's, I, I had a little I4, I4S or something. And I love that thing because it fit in my pocket. This new thing's like carrying around a television. I mean, it's so big. And I wanted to get something smaller, but they don't have anything any smaller anymore. And uh, so I bought it. But nomophobic means this, that fear of being away from your cell phone. Now tomorrow, you can act really intelligent with people and tell them that, ask them if they're nomophobic. Now, now honestly, here today, how many of you, when you can't find your cell phone, you're having a fit... And you'll be honest enough to say, now that you defined what it is, I'm nomophobic. Raise your hand. There you go. A whole bunch of you. And uh, by the way, I am too. If I really lose it and I need to get a hold of somebody, I, I freak out. So anyway, anyway, let me get to my subject today. And Tim, thanks so much uh, for letting me come. And Brad and all the church, you guys have been so kind to me. And I'm so very, very thankful to be here and have a chance to speak to you. And I want to speak to you something that's been on my heart literally for years, and that's this subject that's coming up, the three fillings of the Christian. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Almost all of my preaching life, and I've been speaking now uh, for about 48 years, I've been preaching the gospel, um, all of my life, I thought there were two fillings, and I'm going to talk about that this morning too, but later on, as I began to dig in the Word of God, I discovered that there aren't just two fillings for the Christian, two things, powerful, important, wonderful, powerful gifts 
that God gives to a Christian to fill us with when we have that hunger and thirst to be filled. But I found out there's a, there's a third one that I missed that the Apostle Paul taught me about. And I want to share that third one with you, and I'll spend most of my time on that third one. But I want to give all these to you. And if you've never written these down before in your Bible or on a sheet of paper or on your, uh, on your phone, whatever app you have that you can write it down, I would really encourage you to do that. Because God literally expects us to be filled with, if we're going to be completely filled with the Spirit of God and with God's life in our hearts, we have to be filled with all three. So let me run through those a little bit with you this morning. First of all, I think all of us understand we are to be filled with the Spirit. How many knew that? Raise your hand, all right? We all understand it. And the scripture on the screen says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will, what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to address that first verse uh, and try to get, help you get a hold of that. If you notice what it says there, the underlying part says, Be filled with the Spirit. But before that, it says, don't be drunk on wine that uh, leads to debauchery. And there's a comparison made there. Um, by the way, how does, a, how does a person get drunk? They drink, right? How does a person stay drunk? They keep on drinking. How does a person become an alcoholic? They never stop drinking. My brother went to Vietnam and fought in a terrible war and uh, as some of you perhaps did here. And when he came back, he was, he was really fighting everything, trying to get his life back uh, under his feet. And uh, he, he had some hard times, and one of them was drinking. And he conquered it recently, and I'm so happy for him. But uh, if you and I got in a bus today, if, if we could get all of us, and I know we can't do this, if we could get all of us in a bus today and we drove downtown, uh, any, any town, um, let's say downtown Newark, Delaware, because you know Delaware's bad. That's where I live. Um, anyway, Newark, Delaware. And we, we could all get in a bus and we saw a guy stumbling down the street with a paper sack and a bottleneck sticking out. We'd look at that guy and we would say he's under the what? Influence. He's under the influence. One of the things I want you to understand is when you're filled with the Spirit, it literally means, and that's why God gave us this comparison here in this first verse, that like, like drinking too much liquor or wine or whatever, you get under the influence of that and it changes who you are. When you get filled with the Spirit, it changes radically who you are as a person. And I personally want to be under the influence. I personally want the Holy Spirit of God to fill me, and I want, I want him to fill you till you are completely under the influence. Now, I'm not going to ask you for raised hands today, but think about it. Do you think that you're completely under the influence of God? I love the, that comparison God makes and makes it so easy to understand. And then in this next verse, it says, if you then, talking about us, being evil, in other words, we're sinful people, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give us his Holy Spirit. One of the problems we have is we don't ask enough. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He made it very clear that we need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in this case, we need to understand that God makes it clear that the way we receive the Holy Spirit is to ask. And that word ask in the Greek language is it's very active. It means to ask and to ask and to ask and to ask and to ask. If you ask God one time in your life and you say, I asked God to fill me with the Spirit once, that's not what God wants you to do. God wants you to constantly be admitting to him that you can't make it without him and keep asking that the Spirit of God would fill your life and change your life. Um, when Jesus came into my life and I totally surrendered to him, it just changed everything for me, totally. He filled me with the Spirit. And I can still remember the day when it happened for the first time. I was in church, and I, I had been battling with God. I was actually going to Wayne State University in Detroit, getting a degree in marketing, because I was going to get rich, I thought. And I battled with God every time, driving back and forth to college. I went full-time to college at night, worked full-time in the day, took sometimes as many as 20 hours uh, of credits in one semester. And that was rough, but it was, seemed easy back then when I was young. But I do know this, that God changed me that day. And I remember falling on my knees and God just taking hold of my heart and saying, I'm calling you to the ministry. I don't want you to get a degree in marketing. I don't want you. My, my, my big goal was to get a degree in marketing and go to law school the next year so that I could do some work in marketing, making money to pay for my law school. But God changed everything and just said, no, that's not what I want you to do. And I remember my wife's reaction because I came down to the front of the church during an invitation and I just wept. And my wife came up to me after and said, what's wrong? What happened? I said, God's called me to be a pastor. And she very quickly responded in a wonderful way. She said, he what? <laughs> so I've been telling her ever since we've gotten married that we were going to have plenty of money. We're not going to have any, you know. And pastors uh, generally don't get paid big bucks. So, but as a young 23-year-old pastor starting out, I used to wait until my wife and Gloria, my wife Gloria and my son Tommy, who was only a year old when we moved to Massachusetts, to start a brand new church. Um, and I would go after they went to sleep to this one window in the kitchen that overlooked the city of Brockton, Massachusetts, where I was starting this new church. And I would pray and ask God, to fill me with his spirit because I knew I couldn't do anything without him. And I'd look over the lights of the city of Brockton, Massachusetts, and I'd pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I knew that to attempt to do God's work without God's spirit was foolishness. And all of us, you have to understand, if you're a Christian and you're going to influence your family and you're going to influence your friends and if you're going to influence those around you, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. So I have a question. Are you asking God to fill you with his Spirit every day? He wants to hear that from you. 
He wants to hear that from me. Are you filled with God's Spirit? Are you allowing God's Spirit to be the most important influence in your life? When somebody is an alcoholic, the most important influence in their life is the next bottle. It's the most important thing. And God compares it in that first verse and says, I don't want you to be like that guy, but I want you to be under my influence, to be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, we're to be filled with the Word of God. I think all of us understand that. Uh, even as the band was singing today, I was, I was thrilled to hear them. You guys do a great job singing, and you had some talented musicians. Uh, I played in a praise band for 20 years, and I've been writing praise music my whole life, and, uh, and to just love it. I just love it. You guys do a great job. And one of the things that makes it great is so much of what the lyrics of the song are have to do with the Word of God. Look at the first verse up there. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of God come into your life and change you. Spend time in it every day. And then, for an Old Testament reference, all of us probably have read this in Joshua 1.8, one of my favorite scriptures. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The way to be prosperous, the way to have good success is to be in God's Word every day. To get up in the morning and first thing, crack out of the dish is get a hold of your Bible and read. Find something in the Word of God that God can help you to get through that day. So there is this first filling of the Holy Spirit, and then there is this filling that comes, and there's no substitute for spending time in God's Word. God wants us to be filled with His Word. Why? So you can teach, if you look at that, that, uh, that verse. As rich, fill you richly as you teach and admonish one another. God wants you to know enough about the Word of God. You know, I've been studying the Word of God my whole life, so is your pastor. And I still have not even begun to fathom the depths that are in here. God wants to teach you. I asked my wife to come up for a minute. And uh, I was going to read this, but she wrote it. Uh, she... She, uh, she writes for Partners in Ministry, uh, and she does a, a, a devotional that goes out all over the country and some other countries also. Um, and she wrote this little part, and I thought instead of me just reading it, instead of me just reading it, uh, let her read it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to share, he wanted me to share this. It's it's something that I had written because just the word meant so much to me. Knowing the word of God should be your passion. Love for his word must call you in the morning from your bed of ease to search its riches and consume its wondrous work, truths. I can say I can. Without hesitation, my favorite time is my early morning walk with God in his word. I long to experience the depths, the depths of his word. God has not hidden from us the deep things of God, but rather waits to teach the wonders of the word if we could only 
empty ourselves and be taught by his spirit. God's word tells us that our eye hasn't seen, our, our ears heard, but neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God revealed them unto us by his Holy Spirit, for the Spirit teaches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And that's from 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10. These deep things are revealed to us in his word. My children, even not my children when they were growing up, my grandchildren, when my babies were little for you young mothers here, I would walk with my babies, have my little Bible in my hand, even in the middle of the night. And then when I would work, partners in ministry, Honestly, sometimes, some of you sitting here, you really have stressful jobs and you, you, you just don't get a chance in the morning, but read your Bible, even in, at lunch. I'm just saying it has changed me. If you have a decision, go to the Word. If you need wisdom, go to the Word. If there's a need in your life, our God is a God that upholds us with his righteous right hand, and he considers us precious in his sight. So please stay in the word. It makes a difference in your life. I don't want that. Oh, yeah. You don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Gloria gets up before me every morning to make me bacon and eggs and ham and no. She gets up every morning and and then when I get up, she's still reading the word. And uh, so she gets up earlier than me every day and f- goes directly to the Bible, and she, she's a great lady. But let me tell you why it's important. Years ago, I was invited, why it's so important to know the Word of God. I was invited to Harvard Law School when I was about, I don't know, 28, 29, 30, I, I don't remember exactly, years old, to do a debate with some well-known people in the country uh, on the separation of church and state. And I was ill-qualified to go there, and I knew it. So I read two books, two great books on the separation of church and state and what it was all about to prepare myself. But when I got there, there was a guy who ran for president, and he failed to get elected. I was very glad of that. He was, on, he was part of what uh, the debate team that I was on. There were about 52 men on this huge debate team. And uh, he started making fun of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, And when he did, my spirit, because I know what the Bible says about how important the resurrection is, my spirit said, you're 28 years old, and all of these men are far more educated than you are, but it's time for you to say something. And I put that guy in his place for Jesus' sake because he was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. And he was tearing apart, making fun of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you know the word of God and something like that happens, you just have to speak up. I also did a debate with two pastors in Quincy Market, which is an open space in downtown Boston when I pastored up there. And when I was there, I didn't know this, but they invited me to debate on some biblical issues. And it was a public debate. It was outside uh, in the summer, and there were hundreds of people watching this. It was being filmed on Channel 7 in, uh, in Boston at the time. And uh, I won't tell you what the problem was, but 
one of the things that happened is they got two liberal pastors, very liberal, uh, and I was a conservative pastor, and uh, so there was two against one, and they, they tried to gang up on me, <laughs> and they misquoted the Bible, totally, and so I happened to have my Bible with me, and I went to the verses they were misquoting, and I said, well, I just want the, the whole audience to know that these guys are, and the audience, most of the audience was agreeing with them, not me. And that's the way it should be if you're speaking for Jesus. Sometimes Jesus got crucified for speaking up, didn't he? And so he said a few things out of the Bible that were absolutely wrong, and I felt like just because I knew the Bible that it was time for me to speak up, and I did. And I corrected what they said, and the audience started booing me, literally booed me. There was one lady, my wife laughs every time I said this, but it's a true story. There was one lady who was so mad at me because I read the Bible to her and told her the truth that she reached over, the, there were ropes, we were roped off where we were debating, and she, tr she literally tried to claw my face with her fingernails. People don't like the word, but I love the word. People get mad when the word is quoted, but we need to love the word and fill, be filled with the word of God. This third one, this third filling that's coming up on the screen. We're to be filled with the love of Christ. This is the one for years in my ministry that I missed. I didn't realize that I was, I knew I was to be filled with the Spirit, and I asked God for that all the time. And I knew I was to be filled with the Word, and I was in the Word all the time as a young man, and, and until now still do. Uh, but this one years into my ministry, several years into my ministry, just came at me big time, and I realized that there was a filling that God wanted me to have that I did not have. So let me read this scripture for you, Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now notice that underlying part. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I realized when I read this and God got a hold of my heart that there was one filling that I was missing. And so I began to dig into the Bible about what God was talking about that there is a filling that I need that surpasses all the other fillings, if that's possible. This is, and by the way, this was written in Ephesians by, as you know, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote something else to the church at Philippi. And I want to read you what he said there. It's not going to be on the screen. He said in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Paul said this, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may win Christ. Paul said, I gave up everything that I was and everything that I am for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians, he says, but there's something more important than my knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's something more important than 
what I know about him because I'll never know everything about him. And he said, it passes knowledge. It goes beyond knowledge. This knowledge that totally changed the Apostle Paul, knowing Jesus, totally changed me, totally changed you here if you're a Christian. But he says there's something that passes knowledge. And he says that thing that passes knowledge is the love of God, not your love for him, but God's love for you. That's what this is talking about. It's important to take note that the word know here, K-N-O-W, does not refer to mere knowledge, but it means to feel and to experience God's love for you. God wants us to know him so well and be so close to him that we can feel and experience his goodness and his grace. And the word fullness here refers to being flooded, literally means to be flooded in your whole being with the love of Christ. Not partially being filled, but experiencing all the fullness of God. Your love for God is important. But because it's not infinite, but finite, my love for God is finite. God is infinite. What this is talking about is God's love for you. When you finally experience how much God really loves you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, God loves you. God loves you. And he wants you to experience that and be filled with that. Let me give you a couple examples of books that I've read. I've read over 100 books on great men and women of God. And one of those books was Charles Grandison Finney, who was a great preacher in times gone by. But he said when he finally found this love of Christ, the God's love for him, he said it felt like liquid waves of love came over him, and he had to ask God to stop lest he die. How many of us experienced the fullness of God's love for us? Man, if we could do that, if we could comprehend it even, it would change us forever and ever. Henry Morehouse was filled with God's love, so much so that um, he, he was totally taken by the love of God. And, and his favorite love verse in the Bible was John 3.16. You want to say that with me? Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world. Say it out loud with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. That verse so captivated Henry Morehouse, great preacher, he preached on John 3.16 three, over 3,000 times. Never got tired of it because he learned what the filling of God's love for him was. D.L. Moody, you may know that name. D.L. Moody had two little ladies. D.L. Moody built a college and a great place for people to come and learn in Northampton, Massachusetts, when he was on this earth. And there was a church there where he would speak when he was not speaking somewhere else in the country or the world. And there were two little elderly ladies in the church that would come to him all the time. And they, they would come to him and they would say, Mr. Moody, we are praying for you to be filled with the Spirit. And he was offended. He thought, why do these ladies think 
I'm not filled with the Spirit. <laughs> and every time he would come to church and speak, they'd come to him after church, and they said, Mr. Moody, we're praying that you'll be filled with the Spirit. And it bugged him a lot. He tells about it in, in some of his writings. And then one day, he, he, he began to pray for God to fill him, that maybe there was something that he was missing. And he happened to be preaching in New York City at the time when this happened, and he's walking down one of the main avenues of New York City, and all of a sudden the Spirit came on him in a way that he had never experienced before. And a few blocks down the line, there was a friend that he knew, and he, and he was so overcome by the Spirit of God coming into his life that he knocked on their door and he said, I can't tell you what's happening, but do you have a room I could just go in and pray and spend a few hours. And D.L. Moody went into that room and the Spirit of God came over him and took his life completely over and changed him. After this, Mr. Moody, where he used to preach to 100 people, 1,000 would show up. And where he used to preach to 1,000 people, 10,000 would show up. Just because God knew this man was filled with the Spirit and filled with the love of God, and filled with the Word of God, and God could trust him. And you know who led for you? How many have ever, ta ever taught Sunday school? Anybody in here? If you've ever been a Sunday school teacher, one of the greatest stories I ever read was about Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was the one who led D.L. Moody to Jesus Christ. He was his Sunday school teacher. And D.L. Moody at that time was a shoe salesman in Boston in this little shoe store. And Edward Kimball went to tell him about Jesus and how to trust Jesus as a Savior. And he was so nervous about going in there to talk to him that he, he walked back and forth out front of the building over and over and over and over again, trying to get enough nerve to go in and win Mr. Moody to Christ. But he finally did. And that Sunday school teacher who... None of you have probably ever heard his name before, Edward Kimball. One deal Moody to Christ, who won hundreds of thousands of people to Christ, just like Billy Graham won thousands and tens of thousands and millions probably to Christ with his life. It's important to be filled with the God's love for you. Leonardo da Vinci painted... Uh, the Last Supper, as you know. And the dramatic scene of Jesus in the Last Supper surrounded by his disciples. And he worked tirelessly for three years on that one painting. He grouped the disciples into three, two, two, threes, two groups on either side of the central figure of Jesus. Christ's arms were outstretched, if you remember it. In his right hand, he holds up a cup, painted beautifully with marvelous realism. When the masterpiece was finished, he called in his, one of his best friends, and he said, I, I want you to observe the painting, and I want you to tell me what you think about it. Give me your opinion. And his friend looked at the painting, and he said, it's wonderful. It's so wonderful, he said, I can't take my eyes off it. And he said, off of what? He said, I can't take my eyes off the cup. It's so real. It's so amazing. 
and Leonardo da Vinci walked over to where his paints were, grabbed a paintbrush, and he grabbed it, and he slashed it across the cup, and he screamed, nothing will ever take the attention from Jesus Christ himself. And he went on to paint it and mute it and make it there, but not beautiful. And if I could say to you today, if we could cause men not to see us, but to see Jesus, not to see the cup, but to see Jesus, that would be when we're filled with this love that Jesus has for us. That would be when we're changed forever, to be filled with his spirit, to be filled with his word, and to be filled with the love of God. Let me just throw this up there, and I'm done. God wants you to experience life way beyond ordinary. But it only happens when we're hungry to be filled. Filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the Word of God, filled with the love of God. One more short story, and I'm, I'm just going to close in prayer. Recently, Pastor Britton mentioned that, uh, that we've had a ministry called Partners in Ministry where we've literally sent out millions of gospel booklets all over the world and all over the country and other things to help disciple people in churches. My son, Tom, uh, who is now the director of development at Sandy Cove, um, my son, Tom, wrote a discipleship manual that took him about six months to write. And uh, I remember not long ago uh, him saying, this was several years ago, he said, I would write that so differently now, I think I just want to pull it off the shelf. And uh, we didn't let him do that. We kept on using it. Um, but he got a call, not really a call, he got a, a message uh, on Facebook from a guy named Sharjeel in Pakistan a Christian pastor. And he was asking him if he could translate that discipleship manual into Urdu, the main language of Pakistan. And uh, if you know Pakistan, if you're a Christian in Pakistan and you come across somebody who is uh, hyper-Islamic, perhaps, they may kill you. In fact, uh, what happened was he did translate the entire book into Urdu, and uh, someone, I believe someone in our church, put up the money for him to print them, and he was so excited. He began to disciple young Christian leaders all over the country and to show them how to disciple others. He sent us a picture of a thousand of those books stacked in front of him. He was so excited to have them. And by the way, when you share Jesus Christ in Pakistan, you can die for it. He was out passing out uh, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, evangelistic booklet that we published that he also uh, put into Urdu. And uh, a friend of his, another pastor, was one block ahead of him, and they were passing these out, and his friend was blown to bits. I want you to pray for Sharjeel. 
He's a man who understands the love of God. He's one of the greatest stories. To me, he's like the Apostle Paul and Peter and all of them who suffered so much in the early days of Christianity, and now he's doing it in Pakistan. When the love of God fills you, when you understand his love for you comes into your life and changes you, there'll be a lot of shargeels in the crowd that Jesus totally changes and picks us up to do things we never thought we could do, to accomplish things we never thought we could accomplish. Are you filled? That's my question. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you asking him often to fill you? Are you filled with the Word of God by just getting in and letting God speak to your heart? And are you filled with the love of God, understanding it's his love for you, and he wants you absolutely filled with his love? And if that's in your life, those three things, it'll change you forever and forever and forever. I did a funeral yesterday and talked about a man who I baptized about 20 years ago who died. And I was so happy to be able to tell that family that he was a believer and that he's in the presence of God right now. Aren't you glad we have a God that loves us? a God that cares about us, a God that's concerned about us. I'm going to pray, and then they're going to come.